bless you. You may be seated. Um, we have these uh, Christmas invites. Have, uh, all, have, all of you received at least one invite when you walked in? Yes, okay. Now we have many more at the uh, table outside, the information desk. Now, it's really exciting to see people uh, do things, uh, take advantage of the Christmas season to get the message of Jesus Christ out. Uh, yesterday, there were some of our young people spent the day at, um, uh, what is the school? St. Peter's School, uh, where uh, Archana is the principal. They had a carnival there, and um, some of our young people out there, they, they had a stall. Uh, they had some games, which attracted the kids and even the parents. And then they gave out books, they gave out tracts. It was really, really nice that they went and took the time to do that. Really appreciate it because we can get the message of Jesus out to people. It may be just a little track, but you're placing it in somebody's hands. You never know who is going to read it and how their life is going to be changed. Then last evening, some of the uh, professionals, young men in, uh, in our church, just got together. I and mean, you know, these were things that we never initiated. Just people did it on their own. Some of the young men got together. They said, you know, we're going to do something special for Christmas to reach out to our colleagues. Uh, so they rented the dinner place at uh, Ramna Sri Brunton. And uh, they planned to invite 50 of their colleagues. And they ended up having, I think, 60 people come. And they had a time, good time, uh, singing carols, uh, shared the message of Jesus Christ, gave out some gospel uh, tracts and books and invites. So it's really amazing. And this was done purely on their own initiative. We never, I never chased anybody to do something. To, no, on their own. Amen? That's what we need to see happening in the church. Amen? People understanding that they can be ministers of God. They can do something to reach out. Uh, some of the young people in the South Church are planning to go to Nimhans and just sing carols there to the kids and reach out to the kids there uh, at Nimhans. And you know, just things that people are doing on their own. So I want to encourage each of us, do something this Christmas. Maybe in your apartment complex where you stay. Maybe in your school. Maybe in your place of work. Do something to let people know that the real meaning of Christmas is Jesus Christ. Amen? And of course, you can take these invites. You know, they're done nicely. Nothing offensive on these cards. Just give them out to your friends, your colleagues, school friends, college friends. Say, hey, we're having some special services for Christmas and New Year. Please come. Uh, enjoy Jesus with us and invite people. And you know, we'll have simple messages during this time talking about Jesus. And uh, it'll be a great chance to share Jesus with people. So please do something. Turn, look at your neighbor and say, do something. Amen? Um, also, Mrs. Indrani Sivaram is just launching a ministry that's called the Sanctuary. Um, at the Sanctuary, you have, uh, uh, right now, presently, there's a coffee shop, a gift shop, and a library. Uh, Mrs. Sivaram, many of you know, she's the mother of our youth pastor, Ajit Sivaram, and she's probably sitting somewhere here. Um, all right, okay, right there. And uh, she's starting this, uh, just launching this ministry called The Sanctuary. And it's really a place where people can come, young people can just come and hang out and uh, experience the love of Jesus um, at the coffee shop, the gift shop, and the library. And so we want to encourage people to uh, get involved. You can volunteer your time. Either if you're free, you can volunteer full-time. If you have a few hours during the week, you can volunteer part-time. You can help out in the coffee shop, the gift shop, and the library. And you can also volunteer there as a counselor. Um, the idea is to have this place where young people can come and, uh, and experience Jesus. So we need Christians there. You know, people are not going to experience Jesus because they walked into a building or something. They're going to experience Jesus because there are other people there who are going to minister Jesus to them. So we need, we encourage you, especially the young people, to get involved with the sanctuary. I think she has a brochure available at the book table, the information desk. There might be brochures available. So you could pick a copy up um, of the brochure, just get, a, get more information, and there'll be also contact information how you can uh, contact Mrs. Uh, Sivaram if you want to volunteer at the sanctuary. So please get involved. Really encourage the young people to do that. And uh, even if you can spare four hours a week, uh, half a day, just do something. A great chance to be a blessing to others. Let's stand up to our feet. 
Hold the Bibles up in the air. Let's make our declaration this morning. Just lift your Bibles up and say this out with me. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His words. I believe His words. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give a high five, a pat on the back to the person sitting next to you. And give them your name if you don't know who they are. And you may be seated. Are you happy to be here this morning? Amen. If you are, say amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. First John chapter 3 verse 8. The Bible says here, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose. Let's all say that together. For this purpose. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. This was Christ's, or one of Christ's purposes. His mission statement. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. For this reason, Jesus came into this world. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Now the question is, do you think Jesus fulfilled his life's purpose? Or did he go back to heaven saying, Father, I almost said dad, but Father, mission unaccomplished, need to retry. Do you think Jesus went back to heaven saying, I've completed the purpose? Let's take a vote. How many believe that Jesus completed his purpose? Amen. How many think he did not? How many of you are not sure? <laughs> but I think most of us will agree that Jesus completed his purpose. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. We agree that he completed his purpose. He said it is finished. He fulfilled his purpose. The word destroy simply means to undo, to loosen, to set free. It has the idea of somebody being bound and then you take the chains off. They, you undo that person. From that bondage. So for this purpose. The son of God was manifested. To lose us. Loosen us. To undo the works. Of the devil. And he fulfilled his purpose. Which means. That the works of the devil. Have been undone. Which means. You and I. No longer need to be in subjection. Of the devil. Amen? Say amen if you believe it. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy, undo the works of the devil. Jesus fulfilled His purpose. The works of the devil have been undone. You and I are free. We do not have to be in subjection to the works of the devil. Amen? 
So our next question is, what are the devil's works? So that we know what we are free from. And we know what we don't have to put up with in our lives. What are the works of the devil? Which the Son of God, which Jesus Christ destroyed and undid so that you and I could be free from. What are his works? Just want to list some of them out. The first one is this. It's the power of sin. Right there in 1 John chapter 3. As uh, John is writing and he's really dealing with the issue of sin right there in 1 John 3. And he makes this statement in verse 5. 1 John 3, 5. He says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. And then he continues to tell us that a believer does not need to sin. So what's the first work of the devil that you and I are set free from? It is sin. Now understand this. We all agree that we are cleansed from our sins, which is true. Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross so that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse us from all sin. That's true. Our sins are forgiven. But what we must also understand is that the power of sin over our lives has been broken so that we do not need to be in subjection to sin. We do not need to sin. Amen? Now you can sin if you want to, but you don't have to. Amen? Because Jesus set us free from the work of the devil. One of them is sin. You are free from the power of sin over your life. Some more scriptures, for example, in Romans, the sixth chapter, verse six says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the power of sin might be destroyed, so that you no longer should be a slave to sin. Do you know, believer, that you no longer need to be a slave to sin? Amen. You don't have to be a slave to sin. Because the Son of God was manifest to destroy, to undo, to loosen you and me from sin, the power of sin. And therefore in Romans 6 and verse 14, the Bible says, Sin will not have dominion over you. Amen? Sin will not have dominion over you. You don't have to be subject to sin. Sin does not have to be your master. Now, I'm using the word sin, but let me make it plain and simple. You don't need to be bound by any addiction, whether it's pornography, whether it's uh, lust. You don't need to be bound by these things. You are set free. Amen. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. One, we are set free from the power of sin in our lives. Therefore, Romans 8, Paul continues writing, he says in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He didn't stop there. He continued to say, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, many times we read just half of the verse and say there is no condemnation against you. It is true, but it is presupposed that you are not walking after the flesh, but you're walking after the Spirit. Amen? You can't walk after the flesh and say there is no, condemn there is no condemnation against me. Because he continues in verse 13, if you live after the flesh, you will die. He's writing to believers. And he's saying, believer, if you live after the flesh, you will die. Amen? It's in your Bible. You're all looking at me very strange. So, he says in verse 13, If you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit to put to death the sinful deeds of your body, you will live. And back in verse 2 of Romans 8, Paul said this, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. 
Meaning you could you replace the word law with dominion. For the dominion of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the dominion of sin and death. So the Holy Spirit dwelling in my life sets me, from free, me free from the dominion of sin. And I by the Spirit can put to death the sinful deeds of my body. I don't have to be subject to sin. Amen. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. One work that God has, Jesus has destroyed over your life and my life is the power of sin itself. So many of us believers, we keep struggling with sin. We struggle with sin. We say, okay, man, God forgives. Yes, God forgives. But saints, there's a higher level that you can live at. You can live above that sin that's holding you in bondage. Amen? The choice is yours because the Bible says, if, everybody say if. If is a conditional word, meaning you can have it if you want it. If by the Spirit, Romans 8.13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body. So you have a choice. You can if you want to. Amen? The Bible says in Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.24 Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and desires. You can come to a place in God and you walk in the spirit where you do sinful desires. We all have it, but they can be crucified. You don't have to serve it anymore. Amen. For this purpose, he was manifested. That you as a Christian can live victorious over sin. Amen. Amen. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, was, I was there in UK for two weeks. And I'm sharing this as a testimony to encourage you. Two weeks. Now, many of you young people, who tra professionals who travel, you know what happens when you travel. Especially when you travel overseas. You know, all you have is a hotel. You go to work in the morning, come back alone in the hotel. What do you end up doing? Television. Right? Most of what we end up doing. Why? You spend a hard day's work, hard day at work. You can't go out to talk to people, all strangers, you're in a foreign country. So at least you can have company with the idiot box, you know. You said, well, and, and, and you know, many a times it begins with a very innocent desire. I want to catch up with the news. So you go to BBC. But for some reason, you stay on BBC only for five minutes. And soon you find yourself on some other C channel, seeing things you're not supposed to be seeing. And of course, as a good Christian, after you spend two hours watching all that, you get on your knees, you say, God, please forgive me. And the next day, the same story repeats. Come on, are you all angels or human beings? Amen? This is what happens. Those of you who travel, you know it. Then Sunday you come to church, say, God, forgive me, feel happy, and put it behind and keep going. Okay. But I want to tell you, you know, for the glory of God, the two weeks I spent there, I never turned the TV on. And I had no desire to. Amen. I was there in the hotel. The same box over there. You know the TV doesn't recognize, oh this is pastor. So let me give only holy channels to him. <laughs> the TV doesn't know that. The same junk that comes into the neighbor's room also comes into this TV. I have a choice to make. I can choose to turn the TV on and watch all the trash. Or I can say, I don't need you in my life. I won't tell you. Two weeks. I never turned it on. Not even for the news. Because most of us, that's, that's how it all begins. News. And I turned it on. I had no need for it. And I said, God, thank you for bringing me to a place. I don't even have this desire. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to watch TV. You want to watch, you know, India, India South Africa. It's fine. You watch. Watch football. Watch. I'm not saying it's sin. But the thing is, this thing that that might just start out as watching news usually takes you on somewhere else I want to tell you it is possible 
for us to walk in victory. Amen. If God can do it in my life, He can do it in yours. I'm no different from you. Amen. So I don't think that we as Christians should um, live a life of struggling from sin to sin and every day, God forgive me, God forgive me. Listen, there's a life beyond that. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil, that He might destroy the power of sin over your life, that you no longer should be a slave to sin. Amen. You don't need to. And yesterday I was sitting next to some uh, a brother, his name was David, we had gone for the engagement and I was sitting next to him and he told me the story of, uh, of another person from Muti, might be sitting here this morning, um, I'll just show you testimony a little bit, uh, he said you know he was his brother from a Cindy family um, and uh, God touched this family in an amazing way and, and this brother, he used to smoke about 140 cigarettes a day. But the Lord Jesus touched him, got saved, and all these things went off. Now his family got concerned, not because the fact that he was free from all of that, but because he had believed in Jesus Christ. And they took him to somebody to speak to him, to get him, try to convince him otherwise. But the priest said, he's found a solution to his problems. Why are you troubling him? Amen? Meaning he's found Jesus who set him free. Amen? Jesus can do that for you and me. Set us free from bondages and addictions from the power of sin over our lives. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the power of sin. Now, I want to take a little side tour. So tell your neighbor, we're going on a side tour. What's a side tour? It means it's not the main message. We're going on a little side tour. Watch the scenes and come back. I know sometimes we do too many side tours and then you don't know what he was preaching about. But we're going to do only one side tour today. You're going to go a little off from our main message and I promise you will come back. When we talk about the fact that the power of sin over our lives is broken, immediately people have questions. They say, well, you know, does that mean we don't sin? No, we do sin. Yeah, we do sin. I mean, when was the last time you got angry with your friends? Or with your wife? Or with your husband? When was the last time you did something wrong? I mean, it could be as early as, you know, 1029 before you walked in. So, do we sin as believers? Of course, we, we do some things that are wrong. But the question we need to ask is, uh, what should a believer do when he, and she, he or she sins? I mean, what should a believer do? We understand our positional truth that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That means positionally, we are the righteousness of God. But practically, we don't always do righteousness. Sometimes you do some unrighteousness. So what should a believer do in that situation? Is it right for a believer to just say, I'm the righteousness of God, so forget it, let me just go on? Or does he need to do something else? Because he's, he's sinned. Should he just say, well, God's grace has forgiven all my sins, so I'll just ignore it and keep going? It is true that Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world. But you don't get saved until you repent. Amen? Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, but he also had to be slain in time. Your sins were paid for on Calvary, but you have to repent in time. Amen? So what should a believer do when he does sin? Does he just say the grace of God is forgiven, I keep going? Does he say I'm the righteousness of God and keep going? Or does he need to do something? I want you to take you to a case study in the book of Corinthians. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're on a side tour, so tell your neighbor just hold on. The bus will be on its track. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to read from verses 1 through 6. 
Positionally, you are the righteousness of God. You are accepted in the beloved. There is no condemnation against you. You are forgiven. But practically, what do you do? Because practically, you do sin. You do do some wrong things. What do you do? First Corinthians 5, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, it is reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality has it not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. Are you puffed up and have not rather mourned? Meaning these people didn't mourn. They didn't even bother. There was sin among them. They didn't bother. Just closed their eyes and kept going. Verse 2 continues, that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lamb? And then we'll pick up another verse from this chapter, verse 11. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a... What's the next word? Come on guys, are you all reading the Bible? Yes or no? What's the next word? Not to keep company with anyone who's named a... A brother who is sexually immoral or covetous, an idolater or reviler or drunkard or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. So here's the situation. A person in the church has sinned. So Paul is writing and saying, Listen, there is this person who's sinning among you. He doesn't say, he's the righteousness of God, so just keep going, forget it, it's okay. Or all oh, the grace of God has forgiven his sins already, so just keep going. What does he do? He says, you've got to do something about it. In fact, he reprimands them because they have not done something about it. Verse 2, he says, you are just, you're not, you're not rather mourned. You haven't, you haven't been sorry for this thing. And your glorying is not good, he says in verse 6. Meaning, you're just ignoring this thing and that is not right. Are you listening to me? So then, let's go to chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. We'll read verses 8 through 10. We are on our side tour. We'll come back to our main message. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 8 through 10. Paul continues. So in, in the first epistle, 1 Corinthians, he addressed the situation. He told them they need to do something about it. Second epistle, 2 Corinthians 7, explains why he did it and what his objectives were. Verses 8 through 10. For even if I'm, 2 Corinthians 7 verses 8 through 10. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Let me ask you, does a believer need to repent? Yes or no? A believer cannot say, I'm the righteousness of God, therefore I don't need to repent. A believer cannot say, the grace of God has forgiven my sins, therefore I don't need to repent. Right here he says, your sorrow led you to? To what? Repentance. For you were made sorry, verse 9 continues, For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow leading to repentance, that is conviction. That is not condemnation, that is conviction. Every believer needs to be convicted. He needs to have godly sorrow that brings him to repentance before God for the wrong he has done. He cannot say positionally I'm the righteousness of God, so what do I do? God forgives it. No, sir. You've got to be godly. You have to have godly sorrow for what you've done. Come to a place of repentance for the sin. You are a brother. You are a believer. But there is a place of repentance for you. Amen? Godly sorrow produces Repentance. So, as a believer, when I sin, if I sin, what must I do? I must have godly sorrow, which lead, leads me to repentance before God and say, God, I'm sorry. 
I cannot say, God, I am the righteousness of God, so it's okay. I cannot say that. Positionally, I'm the righteousness of God, but practically I have sinned. And I need godly sorrow and repentance before God. He's writing to believers here. Amen? Now, there are three things, probably four, that bring a conviction into the life of a believer. What is conviction? Godly sorrow that leads you to repentance. That's conviction. There are three. We can add probably make four things that produce conviction in the life of a believer. Number one is your own conscience. Your own conscience. What's your conscience? It's the voice of your human spirit. And every human being has a conscience unless they have seared their conscience or they dulled their conscience. But to begin with, every person has a conscience. If you go with me to John, the 8th chapter, you will see that your conscience convicts you. John chapter 8 and verse 9. John 8 and verse 9. Here's a case where some scribes and Pharisees, they brought a woman caught in adultery, they brought her to Jesus, and then, you know, they said, we caught this woman in the act of adultery, and Jesus says, you know, whoever among you doesn't have sin, throw the first stone. Then what happened? Verse 9. John 8 and verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, they were convicted by their own conscience. So the first thing that brings conviction in the life of a believer, or for that matter in any human being, is their own conscience. What is the conscience? John, Romans, the second chapter, the 15th verse says that the law of God is written in the conscience of every man's heart. Your conscience is that part of you in your human spirit that already has been programmed with the law of God. That's why even an unsaved man knows what's right and what's wrong. He has a conscience. Now, over time, he can dull that conscience. He can ignore it. Keep, he can sear that conscience. The Bible talks about a seared conscience. A lot of New Testament talks about the conscience. I'm just kind of summarizing a few things here. He can sear that conscience to a place where he doesn't listen to it anymore. So every believer, the moment he sins, he's convicted by his own conscience. First thing that brings conviction. Amen? A believer needs to be convicted. He needs to have godly sorrow that will lead him to repentance of whatever wrong he's doing. He just can't ignore it and say, God's righteousness is on me or the grace of God is forgiven. No, he can't do that. He needs to have godly sorrow to repentance. Are you listening? The first thing that brings conviction is this, his own conscience. Second, the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says the word of God is given to us for reproof. The word reproof simply means conviction. For reproof and correction. For example, you wake up in the morning. You open your Bible and you're reading Matthew chapter 5. It's a wonderful, beautiful sermon on the mount. Blessed is the man who, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are, you know, uh, those who hunger and thirst are right and beautiful, beautiful. And suddenly you come to, you know, verse 25 somewhere. It says, whoever looks on a woman to lust after her. So God, I just did it. Forgive me. What has happened? The word of God has brought conviction in your heart. And you say, God, I acknowledge what I've done. Please forgive me. Amen? So the word of God brings conviction. When you read the word, it's for reproof. It's for conviction and for correction. The third way a believer is convicted is by the Holy Spirit. Now, some people might say, you know, the Holy Spirit never convicts the believer. The Bible teaches otherwise. It is true that John 16 says that the Spirit of God will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Yes, the Holy Spirit convicts the world. But the Holy Spirit also works in the life of the believer to convict the believer of their sin. So where is it in the Bible? I'll show it to you. Just hold on. Tell, your pers tell the person next to you, fasten your seatbelt. All right, it's in the Bible. The Holy Spirit convicts the believer of sin. Now it is true there is no scripture that says explicitly, like John 16, he will convict the world. There's no scripture that says explicitly he will convict the believer. But turn with me to Ephesians 4. As I promised you, I'll bring you back to the main road. We're just on a side trip here. Ephesians 4, and we're going to read from verse 25 onwards. 25 to 30. 
Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, you know, get rid of lying. Verse 26, he says, don't go to bed angry. Verse 27, he says, don't give place to the devil. Verse 28, he says, don't steal. Verse 29, he says, don't speak bad words. And then verse 30, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. So what is the Holy Spirit going to grieve, be grieved of? Of sin. Your wrongdoing. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't give place to the devil. Don't speak bad words. Don't go to bed angry. Because if you do, you'll grieve the Holy Spirit. So I cannot say I have sinned and God is not grieved. It says right there, don't grieve. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Not junior God. He is God. So when I sin. It does affect my relationship with God. Because God is grieved about my sin. I cannot say I am the righteousness of God. Holy Spirit. Don't you know I am the righteousness of God. Why are you grieved? Can I tell him that? The Bible says he is grieved by my sin. Amen. Are you listening? Yes or no? You're going to sleep. I can't see your faces. If you're awake, just wave at me. Amen. Okay, most of you are awake. So I can't say that when I sin, God is not grieved. He is grieved. The Holy Spirit is God. Amen. Now, if you have a friend and you do something to grieve him, do you just go to him and say, hey, I'm your friend after all, man. Get over your grieving. Or do you go and say, I'm sorry. What do you do? What is that? Godly sorrow that produces repentance. Amen. I can't say, you're a God of grace. So get over it. Come on, let's go along. Sorry. He's grieved by your sin. There needs to be godly sorrow that restores this thing. Positionally, nothing has changed. You are the righteousness of God. Positionally, it's a fact Christ died for your sins. Positionally, it's a fact the blood of Jesus Christ is available. But in your walk with God, you need to do something. Amen? That's why Paul, John writes. Now Hebrews 12, I can give you some more scriptures on this. Hebrews 12 says that when we sin, we are, you know, we are rebuked by the Lord. So you think I sin and God doesn't correct me? Of course he does. Why does he correct you? Because he's upset. He doesn't say, well, you're my righteousness, my grace is there, so I won't correct you. No, when you sin, it upsets God. And so God chastens you, meaning he lovingly corrects you. In as much as he's a God of love and God of grace and he has imparted to you his righteousness, he still chastens you as a father corrects his son. Hebrews 12 verse 5. And an interesting thing is this, over in Romans chapter 9, verse 1, it says, your conscience bears witness with the Holy Spirit. Romans 9, verse 1. Your conscience bears witness with the Holy Spirit, meaning your conscience and your Holy Spirit are always in agreement. What does your conscience do? John 8, 9, your conscience convicts you. So if your conscience is convicting you and the conscience and the Spirit are in agreement, therefore the Holy Spirit also convicts you. Amen? So, the Holy Spirit does work, bringing you to a place of godly sorrow, resulting in repentance when you sin. So that was just a side tour. Tell your neighbor the side tour is over. Back to the main message. For this purpose. The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The first work that's been destroyed is the power of sin over our lives. I want to quickly talk about two more things. The second one is this, the power of sickness and disease. You know, sickness and disease is a work of the devil. It was not created by God. 
You don't find sickness and disease before the fall. Sickness and disease is a work of the devil. And Jesus has set us free from the power of sickness and disease as well because it is a work of the devil. Now, I do understand that some of the physical ailments we have or experience in our body is self-inflicted. For example, you smoke a lot, your lungs get into trouble, don't blame the devil. Amen? You drink a lot, your liver gets affected, don't blame the devil. Because some of the ailments that we experience are self-inflicted. You don't keep yourself warm, you walk around like, you know, macho man and then you catch a cold, don't blame the devil. You didn't keep yourself warm, that's it. But, a good majority of physical ailments, sicknesses and diseases are caused by spirits of infirmity. Not by the Holy Spirit. We said spirits of infirmity. Meaning the devil causes it. Acts the 10th chapter verse 38 says this. That how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Who went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So Jesus was anointed by God. What did he do? He didn't make people sick. But he healed those who were oppressed of the devil. So you learn two things here. First he healed the sick. And the sick are called the oppressed of the devil. So many times sickness or disease is caused because of a direct oppression of the devil. Not because God decided to bless you from heaven, but because Satan, a sick spirit of sickness is afflicting the body. If you understand it, say amen. In Luke the 13th chapter, you can turn there with me if you will, Luke chapter 13. Verses 10 to 17, Luke 13. Verses 10 through 17, it says... Now as Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. What did she have? Let me hear you clearly. What did she have? A spirit, a demon of infirmity, a demon causing sickness, a demon causing bodily ailments. And she was bent over. She was hunched. She was in that position for 18 years. So she wasn't blessed by God for 18 years. She was bound by a spirit of infirmity. I have to stress this because many times in our understanding, we think that, oh, it is God who has blessed me with this. No, 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 no. There is a spirit of infirmity causing this thing. And so what does Jesus do? Verse 12, but when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might lose you from the works of the devil. What does he lose us from? Lose this woman from? That spirit of infirmity, from that physical ailment she had. You know, now if a doctor was to diagnose her, the doctor would have said, you know, this is uh, something wrong in your bones or something wrong in your genetics or something physically they might have given come to a conclu physical conclusion a biological conclusion but it was something beyond that it was a demon of infirmity afflicting her body and Jesus said you are loosed so it was a work of the devil he loosed her from it so some people get upset about it and then you pick up in verse 15 uh, verse 16 he says so ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan has bound. Everybody say, Satan has bound. No, this woman was bound by the devil. It wasn't because God wanted her like that, but because she was bound by the devil. And so Jesus says, shouldn't this woman who's been bound by Satan for these 18 years, shouldn't she be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. To undo the works of the devil. Amen. Now, someone might say, you know, but, you know, miracles, healings, they're only a fringe thing. You know, they're not central to our faith. Tell me to John chapter 10, verse 37. Here's a statement that might really catch her attention. John 10 verse 37. Jesus says in John 10 verse 37, 
If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. What did he say? If I don't do the works of my father, don't believe me. Excuse me, Jesus. How can you say that? What he's saying is, if I don't do miracles, if I don't do healings, don't believe me. So you're telling me miracles and healings are not really important? What did Jesus say? He said, very important. Because if I don't do the miracles, don't believe me. And then in verse 38, he says, but if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, believe the miracles, believe the healings, believe the demons being cast out, believe the works, that you may know and believe that I, that the Father is in me and I in Him. How important were the miracles? I think absolutely. The interesting thing is this, Jesus didn't say, when I was born, there were heavenly hosts singing my birthday song. Therefore, believe in me. He didn't say that. He said, when I was born, I was born of a virgin. Therefore, believe in me. He didn't say that. He said, look at my preaching. How deep it is and how wonderful it is. Therefore, believe in me. He didn't say that. He said, believe me because of the works, the miracles. The healings that you're seeing me do. Amen. So I think we must come to an understanding of the importance of miracles and healings to the Christian faith. Jesus, who's the founder and apostle and high priest of our faith, he said, if I don't do the miracles, the works of my father, don't believe in me. I wonder if the church today will stand up and say the same thing. Today the church lays so much emphasis on apologetics. There's nothing wrong with apologetics. But you know, Jesus didn't say, look at how wonderful arguments I have, therefore believe in me. He said, if I don't do the miracles, then don't believe in me. In other words, he, could, he was saying, because I'm doing these miracles, believe in me. Amen. So the setting people free from sicknesses and diseases and demonic possession and oppression is a part of our Christian walk. It's part of what you and I should be doing because that's how important it was very important to Jesus Christ. Amen? If you believe it, say amen, please. The third thing which I want to just talk here about as a work of the devil is this. From the power of sin, Jesus set us free. From the power of sickness and bondage, Jesus said it's free. But the devil also does other kinds of works. What else do we, does he do? If you turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 1, you'll find some other works. Apart from sin and sickness, you'll find that the devil also works through circumstances. He uses natural elements. He uses things around on the earth to accomplish his purpose. In Job chapter 1, you know, God boasts about Job. If you pick it up in verse 8, the Lord speaks to Satan and says, You know, hey, look at my servant Job. There's nobody like him. He's a blameless man. He's a righteous man. And then, you know, verse 9, Satan says, uh, Do you think Job doesn't fear you because for nothing? You know, he's getting his dividends every month, you know. So do you think he's just fearing you for nothing? Verse 10, he says, you've put a protection around him, around his house and everything. You've blessed his work. You've made him prosperous. You've given him increase in the land. But if you will take all that away, he will curse you to your face. Verse 12, God doesn't say, okay, I'll do it. God says, Satan, if you want, you do it and try. So verse 13 says, so, uh, so verse 12 ends saying, Satan then goes out from the presence of God. Meaning he goes out to do his works. What does he do? You continue reading on. There was a day when um, the, uh, uh, Job's uh, people were at work. Verse 15 says, the Sabians raided them and took away and killed his servants. 
Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven. Now let me ask you, was it the fire of God or was it the work of Satan? It was the work of Satan, but this man thought it was the fire of God, but he thought wrong. Amen? It was not the fire of God. It was Satan doing these things. But he thought it was the fire of God. So he said, the fire of God. But it was wrong. It was not the fire of God. Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and started doing these works. What did he do? He sent some people to kill the servants. Sent fire that consumed sheep and cattle and livestock. Verse 17 says, The Chaldeans came and they raided the camels and killed the servants. Verse 18 says, Verse 18 and 19, your sons and daughters were sitting in the house. And what happened? Verse 19, a great wind came and struck the house. It fell and all those were in it died. Who was doing all these works? Let me hear you. These were the works of the devil. So he used people, the Sabians, the Chaldeans, to destroy Job's people and possessions. He used natural elements like fire or maybe it was lightning from heaven or the wind that blew the house down and killed the people Satan used these natural things these are part of his works Amen and Jesus demonstrated something in Luke chapter 8 remember Jesus and his disciples were going in the boat on the lake and there was a great storm and a wind was blowing what did Jesus say oh this is a wind sent from God no. He stood up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and he commanded them to stop. Question. Who caused that wind and the waves? We have one of three choices. A. God. B. The devil. C. Naturally happened. You can rule out A very quickly because if, if it was God the Father and Jesus rebuked it, it means he's telling God, sorry. So you rule out A immediately. So it had to be B or C. It had to be the devil or it had to be just a natural event taking place. But you know from what you read in Job 8 that Satan can cause a strong wind to the point where it can knock a house down and kill the people in it. So my suspicion is it was Satan who caused that storm to sink Jesus and his disciples in the lake. Amen. And Jesus said, I have come to loosen the works of the devil. Meaning you have been loosed from these kind of satanic works. You don't have to put up with it in your life. Amen. So let's talk about the application of this message as we conclude this morning. First of all, I want us as believers to understand. Satan is working. He's got his works going on. But you've been loosed from the works of the devil. You've been set free from the power of sin over your life. Every believer here can walk in victory over sin. I don't want to condemn you, but I want to encourage you. There's victory. There's a life higher than where you are at. You can walk victorious about sin. Because for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Amen. I want to encourage all of us to understand that, yes, sickness and disease might come against our body. Satan will try to throw it. But you've been loosed from the works of the devil. You can stand up and say, Satan, I give your spirit of information in my body. My body has been healed by the stripes of Jesus. My God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord my healer. He heals me of all sickness and disease. I choose to walk into my health in my body. Yes, you will face sickness because he tempts you to cause you to sin. So he throws sickness against you to weaken your body. But you can say, I will not accept this work. Amen. And thirdly, 
He might come against you through the circumstances. He might send people who are antagonistic against you, try to put you down. He might try to cause natural calamities to hurt you. Or he might try to stir up circumstances in your finances, in your marriage, and other things to try to disturb you. But you stand up and say, I've been loose from these works. I will not tolerate them in my life. Satan, you're under my feet. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest. That he might lose in us, lose us, set us free from the works of the devil. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his own dear son. You're not under the domain of darkness, but you're in the kingdom of God's son. A kingdom that's higher than where Satan's working at. So tell me why? Should you and I put up with the works of the devil? Now you can if you want to, but I'm encouraging you this morning, don't. Amen? Paul said, give no room to the devil. So choice is yours. If you want, you can have 50-50 with the devil, or you can say, devil, nothing. No room in my life. It's your choice. But Jesus finished his work. Amen? What, what do we need? We need to have faith in God. You know, in Matthew 17, 19, 20, 21, when the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, why could we not cast this devil out? Meaning they were in, uh, they were in a conflict against the work of the devil. They couldn't overcome it. So they turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, what happened? What did we do wrong? Jesus says in verse 20, he says, because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. See, that's the only problem. The unbelief. Prevents you and me from dominating and having dominion over the works of the devil which we can and which Jesus came to set us free from. But our unbelief keeps us under the works of the devil. But with faith in God, Jesus, but if you have faith, there in verse 20, Matthew 17, he says, If you have faith, you will say to the mountain, remove and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. And then he says, you add this to fasting and prayer, verse 21. However, this kind goes not out by, by fasting and prayer. There's a, there's a place for us to come in through prayer and fasting where we can dominate these works of the devil. Amen. So believer, I want to encourage you. The works of the devil over your life has been unloosed. You are free. Don't live in subjection to it. Amen. Now the devil may come against you and he will. But the Bible says God's given you a shield of faith with which you can quench every fiery dart. The darts will come, but you've got a shield. Amen. The second application I want to bring our attention to is this. In John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus said, As my Father has sent me, I have sent you. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to go. Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, I have sent you. Why was Jesus sent? For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. As my Father sent me, I am sending you. His purpose becomes our purpose. His mandate becomes our mandate. His mission becomes our mission. You and I have been sent by Jesus. To destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Tell a neighbor. Go destroy. Go destroy the works of the devil. As my father sent me. I'm sending you. You go out there. Destroy the work of the devil. Undo whatever you see Satan doing. Out there in the world. Are people who are still bound in sin. The keys are in your hands to take the message of Jesus Christ to them so that they can be loosed from the works of the devil. Amen. Out there are people suffering from sicknesses and diseases that are being caused by spirits of infirmity. You have the authority given to you by God himself to go and loose them from those works of the devil. You have it. Amen. Now tomorrow morning, when you go to office, 
your colleague comes to you and says, you know, hey John, Hiramis, I have this tumor in my body. Now you can't tell him, ah, go to Malia Hospital. Nothing wrong with that. But if you will remember what you heard this morning, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. One of Satan's works is these kinds of sickness and disease. And Jesus turned around to you and me and he said, go and do likewise. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And you realize that you've been authorized by heaven, given the name of Jesus to undo what the devil is doing in that situation. You could say something like this. You say, is it okay if I pray for you in the name of Jesus? Now he might say no. It's okay. You at least you try it. Or he might say, fine. Take him aside. Pray for him. Take authority over that sickness, over that tumor. Speak to it in the name of Jesus. Take authority over that sickness and disease. Speak to it in the name of Jesus. You say, you know, but the thing is this. It happens to all of us. The moment you want to do something, your squeaky mind speaks and says, what if nothing happens? Amen? Happens to all of us. What if nothing happens? You will look like a... Fill in the blanks right now. But you know, I was really encouraged when I heard a man, I read, just read this, I read about this, and so I'm sharing it with you. He said, when your mind, when you ask the question, what if nothing happens, you retaliate and say, what if something does happen? Amen? What if something does happen? I mean, what if this tumor goes? What if it, this, this, this sickness and disease does leave? Just have the courage, the faith to go and say, okay, let me pray for you in the name of Jesus. Take him aside somewhere. You, you do what you've been hearing in church. Oh, Sunday after Sunday, you keep saying, you, know, you hear it. Make me a channel of blessing to many people. So God in Jesus, name, I pray for this person. You take authority. You know that you've been authorized by heaven to undo the works of the devil. You say in Jesus, name, I command you, spirit of infirmity, come out. Whatever these demons are causing this thing, come out. I command the sickness and disease. Go. Have faith in God. And do it. Say, so, but Pastor, if still something doesn't happen, find the next person. <laughs> Amen. Keep on doing it. Just keep on doing it. Because you know it and I know it that you're not the healer and I'm not the healer. I couldn't heal a fly if I wanted to. But I can do something. I can lay hands on the sick. And I can speak the name of Jesus. And I can have faith in God for that person's healing. Then it's up to God to heal him. I'm not the healer. You're not the healer. But the problem is some of us don't even try. Amen. Get out there. Jesus said, as my father sent me, I've sent you. Go lay hands on the sick. Go share the gospel. Set people free from the power of sin, from the power of sickness and disease, from the works of the devil. Maybe the enemy is tormenting their home, their family, their finances. You've got authorities to stand up and do something about it. Do it. Amen. Look at your neighbor say, just do it. Let's stand up to our feet. We're going to take some time to pray. Call the worship team up, please. We're going to act on the word of God this morning. It's one thing to hear the word, but it's another thing to say, okay, God, make it real in my life. This morning you heard that Jesus came to set us free from the works of the devil. Very simple message. Very simple. That means you and I don't have to be in subjection to the works of the devil. Easily understood. It means that there is no sin that can hold you and me in bondage. If you're a believer, you can walk 
in victory. I'm not saying you'll never sin, but I'm saying you can walk free from sin. And yes, we will make mistakes and we ask, we repent and we say, God, we're sorry. But we don't have to be in bondage. We don't have to be controlled by some addiction, some lust. And we don't have to walk in weakness. God has called you an overcomer. So this morning, we're going to take authority and say, devil, I've given you room unnecessarily in my life. But I'm telling you today, I'm evacuating you. I'm expelling you from whatever area of my life that I've given room to you. Sin will not have dominion over my life. Maybe there are people here this morning with sickness and disease and infirmity. Let's join our faith together. There's a God in heaven who cares about you. There's a God in heaven who says, I'm your healer. There's a God in heaven who said, I've sent my son to undo the oppressive work of sickness and disease. Let's have faith in God this morning. Some of us may say, you know, I don't understand why my circumstances have suddenly changed like this. Why are these people against me? Why is this storm blowing in my life? Why are the walls collapsing? Now sometimes it could be because of our wrong decisions. But it could also be because it's a work of the devil and Satan is doing something against you. But you understand this morning, you have authority over the works of the devil.